welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. Leah McGrath was appointed the first deputy mayor in the city of Fishers about four years ago. She continues in that job. Among her duties, planning, zoning, the Fishers 2040 comprehensive plan, parks and recreation, along with issues related to disability. I spoke with Leah McGrath during the afternoon of Friday, July 19th. I'm at Fisher's City Hall where uh, we are sitting in a newly furnished room with new chairs, uh, a new table, although I am hearing some concerns about the color scheme. <laughs> Other than that, I think it's a very nicely uh, furnished room, but Leah McGrath is with me. Leah, welcome. Hi. Good to Hi. have good, you back. Yeah, good afternoon. Thank you. Thanks you've, for having me. You've been the deputy mayor here since July of 2015, so you've been on the job a little bit, yes. and we'll talk about some of that as we move along here. The one question I need to ask at the start is one I have to ask. Okay. my... Uh, my friend Lindsay Erdotti, who used to cover North of 96 Beach, she used to cover Fishers and the other northern suburbs. She's been switched to the state house and politics. She had a recent article where several names were floated as possible candidates in the Republican primary next year for 5th District Congressional seat. Mm-hmm. Most people know that Susan Brooks has announced her retirement. I think mostly the timing was to allow people to begin to make a decision on whether they want to be a candidate. So since she is not uh, seeking another term, since your name's been floated out there, I have to ask the question, are you considering a run for Congress at this time? Sure. No, um, well, I think Congresswoman Brooks has done a fantastic job in her role in representing Congress, uh, Congressional District 5, and I'm really flattered that my name has been kind of thrown out there to be considered. Um, I love this district. I love this city. I've lived in some part of the district my entire life, and I care about what happens. Um, Right now, I don't know what's next, but I really appreciate uh, you asking and appreciate my name being out there. Oh, so you're not ruling it out at this time. So, okay, we'll, we'll leave that answer just sit where it's at. And I don't know, I, just in general, and I've, I've known a lot of people in politics in the years that I've been a reporter in and out of it. Anytime you decide to, to run for any office, it's a family decision. And uh, you you have you have you have how many three? I have three you boys. Have three boys, and they're young. And you have a husband. Yeah. And you know, if any time you run for, I don't care what office you're running for, that's a family endeavor. And even with, I think you're you have a young family and they're not very old. But I, I I've got to think that's a yeah. tough decision to make. So I'll it is well yeah. And you know, I think with my kids, whether I was making the decision to come here or any job that I've taken, I always say they're my why. So yes. whatever the mm-hmm. decision becomes, they're my why. Well, we'll we'll let that sit where it is. Thank so you. we got a, a definite maybe. <laughs> That's what I said, not okay. you. Um, I want to talk about the city, which is where you are working in half of the last four years. A mm-hmm. uh, big part of your responsibility centers on the parks department, parks yes. and recreation. And uh, a lot of publicity, and for, and for good reason, Geist Waterfront Park is, is, is generating an awful lot of publicity now. So just from your point of view, explain where the city is right now in the planning for that sure. big park. 
So the Geist Waterfront Park is an area where IMI has had its operations. It's on the east side of that's Olio Irving, Road. Irving Materials, yes, in case you don't know. That's, that's, that's right. Which is a mining company. That's, that's right. one of the major things they do when the mine had been mined out. And that and, and the city – and the short – short version of the story is that the, the, the city condemned the property. You went to court, right. agreed on a, the judge ordered what yes. the price would be, and now the city owns up. So property. Irving Materials had made the decision to wind down their operations before we um, made the effort to purchase the property. And so did work through that process of condemnation to bring that property into the city inventory. And that was really important to do because it's the last area of land that is yet to be developed on the Geist Reservoir. So it was the last opportunity to create a, um, a park, a place where anyone who lives in Fishers can come to really enjoy the water and enjoy that recreation. And Geist Reservoir, as you know, is a, it's a big asset. It's part of a big district for the city of Fishers. It's important, and we want to make sure it's vibrant for the long term. So Geist Waterfront Park was purchased, and we spent the last year really working with the community and stakeholders, um, including internal stakeholders, um, our staff, who would have to maintain it and serve it to make sure that we are, we're developing something that will last in the long term, be enduring, and really meet the needs of the residents um, and give that property its next chapter. So it is an area that for over 50 years has been operated by Irving Materials. And so it's an area that uh, has has been somewhat barren because of the operations that happened. So we're going to take time to um, to kind of rehabilitate the land, move some earth around, and uh, get it ready for what's next, which we think will be a really special amenity for fishers. I think the mayor has said that one reason he felt it was important for the city to make, and it's not a small purchase. We're talking no. several million dollars mm-hmm. investment right. by the city. And one reason he wanted to do this now is because he's not sure that there will ever be another opportunity for lakefront property. I agree, yeah. Uh, all that lakefront property at Geist, uh, whether it's in uh, Fishers or the other communities that border that, it's all private. It is. And so this would be the only opportunity. So he felt it was, as I understand it, you can speak for yeah. the city. Well, that's why I said it's the yeah. last parcel available, the last acreage available that's right on the reservoir. Uh, where we could have an opportunity for a public park and that kind of public amenity. The other thing about it is that it's situated sort of perfectly, if you were going to choose an area for parkland, it's situated on an area that's a little more peaceful. It's in a uh, idle zone. So, you know, you've got uh, wetlands. When we were out touring the property during the uh, process, we saw probably 50 swans and egret one day out by the, um, or heron, I apologize, Heron and uh, swans out the by the wetlands that, <laughs> <laughs> that were, were stunning. And you see the richness and the opportunities for education and for respite and for um, recreation that I think are going to be pretty cool. When the proposal was new, I know some of the neighbors had yes. concerns because I think uh, the city has challenged uh, uh, to try and make that park integrated into the yeah. neighborhood. Many yeah. of those people have lived in that neighborhood for a long time. Are you still talking with these neighbors, and how do you plan to deal with 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 the neighborhood and make sure they're they're on board with it and, and, and happy with Absolutely. the design? That's a great question. Before we even went out to the community to hold our community input sessions, we actually met with the neighborhoods first. And I think that's really important to do because they were the ones who would be immediately or most, you know, significantly impacted by this development. So we wanted to hear their concerns to help guide the kind of input that we got and help develop 
what are those guardrails for development? This is not going to be a place where we hold, you know, uh, big concerts or we're not going to have a marina for boats to dock. We're not going to, you know, it's it's going to be a park that is enjoys the water views, but it's going to be non-motorized um, really for relaxation and a little bit more um, resting. Uh, speaking of parks, uh, the Parks Department was integral in the Spark Fishers Festival. Many departments uh, of city government were involved in that. That's now in the books for 2019. It's the second time that the city has basically run the summer festival mm -hmm. here in Fishers. Um, other than raining on your parade, uh, what <laughs> is... <us> off. <laughs> yeah, I guess it did that. And I had to, unfortunately, I had to miss it. I had a big family that I, I had to attend. It was just my mother's side of the family hadn't had a reunion in almost 40 oh, years. So I was in St. Louis, and, and it was a great... And we, had so a great great. we had a great time so there neat. and got a chance to see a lot of people I hadn't seen for a while. But again, um, your assessment of, yeah. of the second Spark Fishers Festival. Well, you know... Um, the, my assessment would be, first of all, second time around is a lot easier. Uh, and we had a footprint that was expanded with the completion of the amphitheater and the pavilion and the, the water back here in the back of City Hall that made the um, footprint more complete as well and really enjoyable. You know, um, I was talking to a committee member who helped volunteer and plan a year ago. She said when she left Spark Fisher, she said it was great, this amazing high and accomplishment. We did it, but also felt like mm, we can do better. This year when she left in 2019, she left feeling really strongly like we did it. We've seen our vision start to become a reality. And that was so cool. And to do it with so many community members, you know, even before the city, um, kind of took the lead in putting this together with the old Fishers Freedom Festival, our staff worked it. They were very involved from police to DPW. There was a lot of um, kind of demand on that. What's been fun in the last two years is bringing them into the planning process. You know, so sitting alongside 100 community members, we've got people from DPW and police and fire and parks and um, some of them volunteer their time. They're not doing it because they're required to be there. We've had uh, staff come. One person in engineering in particular, his name's Robert Queer, and he is just a great community member and top of being great at what he does for us in engineering. But he volunteered his time. And the staff who work these events and who come and live here too, they have great ideas. And so that has been very, very rewarding. And we had, um, I think I mentioned this, to be able to see the community engagement the weekend after Spark or the week right after Spark, I had an email from a, a separate committee member who had helped be on the planning. He's been on the planning committee for the last two years. And um, these are the emails you receive that you, you know, you kind of go, well, this is why we do what we do. And so I just wanted to read a snippet of it. But, you know, he reached out and he said he was looking at photos of the event, you know, on Facebook and on his phone after the fact. And he says he was looking at those uh, pictures. I gave myself permission to take a second and reflect on this journey, especially the parts I had absolutely nothing to do with. In that quiet moment, I found myself overwhelmed with gratitude for our extraordinary community, the amazing people who call it home, as well as the vision and ambition of the leaders we follow. I need you to know how much I've appreciated being part of this launch, the relationships that have grown from it, 
and for the team and the leadership the team has provided. He moved to Fishers with his wife, uh, I don't know, five or so years ago, and he said, how a couple of transplants landed here has many twists and turns, but my God, am I ever thankful Fishers is where I call myself home, or where I, we call home. Thanks so much for creating an opportunity for us to connect and serve. And of course, we all just felt good when we read that email, but I think it was reflective of, of the event itself as you walked around and as we watched the parade this year, and I got called into the EOC when the rain started <laughs> raining, so I didn't get to see the entire parade, but I was on Lantern Road watching it right up until it started raining. But you didn't raining. have to stop the parade, We right? did not stop okay. the parade. And uh, as, you know, like as the baseball team for the HSE High School who had just won the state mm-hmm. championship turned the corner, the crowd started cheering. Yeah. You know, and you see the the Fishers band and the HSE band, and you see people that you know waving and coming, and it's when you feel the sense of community pride that I, that's really what our Parks Department's about and what I hope that we're building with these events time and again is it's not the event. I always say this. It's not the meeting. It's not the event. It's what happens before and what's after that makes the difference. i got to make a baseball comment here yeah. because uh, it's, it's a great testimony to the baseball youth programs and Fishers because mm-hmm. – it's not very many places in Indiana where Fishers won the state baseball championship last year and yep. HSC won it this year. Yes. Two high schools back to back have won state championships. And that's a, that's that's to the youth and, the, and to the coaching that we have here. Absolutely. With the two schools. Yeah. Uh, that, but the other part of what you had to say uh, struck me because if you think about it, there are only a few events where people, mostly people from fishers in this area, gather in one yeah. place. One's probably the spark fishers. Some people come from outside. Right. But for the most part, it's, it's fishers people. Mm-hmm. And the only, there's only one other event I can think of that would challenge that, and that would be the fishers HSE football the game. game. The game. I was game. thinking the very same thing. Well, you I, know, you've heard me talk about that before, but... Uh... Yeah. Well, uh, Richie Hall, who's the sports editor at the Hamilton County Reporter, told me that it always amazes. He always goes to that game, even though he covers all the county. And he said it's because the the size of these mm-hmm. crowds mm-hmm. challenge the that the the, the the in terms of number of fans there. Yeah. That what you would see at a state championship game. Yeah, it's incredible. We, I mean, um, I told ahead. someone who had um, never attended, who had moved to town, and was talking about the Mudsuck game, and they said. Is it well attended? I said, yeah, you'll have 10,000 people. And that's not an exaggeration no, at this football no. game. You know, just back to Spark, the other thing that I, I want to make sure I know, because so many people worked on this, um, we came out of last year with, you know, saw, we had 38-page debriefing from all oh of our gosh. committees oh. and volunteers. Everyone had ideas or suggestions, and we took them, and we really used them. But I would say across the board, our number one goal was to really infuse more patriotism and kind of that American and civic pride into the event. And I cannot like thank uh, our Department of Public Works enough for what they did with the American flags throughout. I know they're even thinking about what else can we do. Um, people like L. Allwert and um, so many. I'm afraid if I start naming names, I'm going to forget. But okay. uh, those who you know brought veterans together, we had a veterans hall and city hall auditorium. You know, you couldn't help but feel proud when you walked around of what this event was about. One last question about Spark, and it's more of a dollar and cents thing, sure. but it is part of the public discussion. Um, 
when the Freedom Festival was going on the last several years, right. I think I have the right figure here. The city support for that festival, if you include cash and in-kind, was in the neighborhood of $140,000 that last year. That's, that sounds right. And I when I talked to the mayor a little mm-hmm. over a year ago, right before the first Spark mm-hmm. Fishers Festival, he said... He thinks, you know, he thought at that time that the cost to the city would be about the same as that mm-hmm. last Fisher's Freedom Festival. It might take a couple of years for that to be reduced. Do you know where you where you are in terms of this? I know it's a lot of numbers to put right. together, and uh, the, the festival was just a couple of weeks ago. Sure. Do you know where you came in, or do you have an idea yet? I am getting... It's, we are reconciling and we did the same last year you know we know what we're budgeting but then there's always the actuals and we're getting very close i would say that our city investment would be below one hundred and forty thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, we're getting those actuals right now, so we can follow up. Okay, very yep. good. That's just a yeah. No, it's people, a great question. People ask about that a lot, and well, it's uh, a fair question to ask. You know, I do think um, you know this. What we what Spark Fishers has provided is it's a different experience. So it's it's hard. You're not comparing apples to oranges. Well, it was and a two day, it was a two day and, festival. Right, all of that, but and, I would suggest, yeah. yeah and I think there are different there are different events. So you, it's not a total. It's not, uh, thing, but, but, our, but you know we've been able to hold the line, and you know okay. we had a lot of great people come to the table to help be sponsors, and um, did see our revenue dollars. I did get that report today, and those were higher than we had budgeted for or projected, so that's always a good thing to see. We are in the midst of the summer concert series in the amphitheater as we speak now. So uh, just from what you have seen so far, the numbers, the feedback, uh, how are the concerts kind of going this year in terms of crowd size, interest? What are are you seeing so far? You know what? Tuesday nights are great. Those have always been pretty um, solid, anywhere from 3,500 to 6,000. And some, and most of that depends on the weather, quite honestly, <laughs> in terms of who comes and how many. Uh, those are doing really well. The surprise for me this year has been the uptick in our Friday night concert attendance. You know, when I started four years ago, those were just beginning to get off the ground. And, you know, we had some nights where you had four or 500. It wasn't, they weren't all 1,000 or 4,000. Our average attendance to our Friday night concerts this year has been 3,500. Well, you moved the time up as well. I, you, they we used did. to start at nine, now they start at eight. That and works I, out, that that is, out well for you. It has worked out. And it's actually, Sarah Sanquist, our new parks director, she was the one who really pushed for that move um, and did kind of an analysis, you know, of, well, all the, all the other concerts around the area are starting at 8, and that must be for a reason. And so, you know, we did move that up on our Friday nights. The other big success, I think, outside of Farmer's Market always, you know, it's not a concert, but we always have entertainment on the stage, um, it, are our Wednesday afternoon. I don't know if you've been able to come to any of our Wednesday noon series. I just I tend to be busy at that I time. I know, yeah. but I tell you, one of the things that the Parks Department did this year that was just brilliant is they created a schedule for more kid performances, so really targeted at the younger kids. What we noticed by those who were attending, we're seeing uh, certainly see people on their lunch hour coming mm-hmm. and sitting outside at the restaurants or Um, otherwise, but we've got kind of two markets that are really being served by this. One are those kind of families with young kids. So uh, every, I don't know, two weeks or three weeks, there's a show at noon that's Mm -hmm. really kid focused. And those have been very successful. The second would be then on the off months, we're really coordinating more or off weeks where it's not kid focused. 
we're really coordinating more with some of our um, assisted living facilities. And so they're bringing buses in and they're able to be a part okay. of that and really enjoying the experience. And so that's been, that has grown tremendously this year as well. You just um, really days from just a few days before we record this, gave an update to the city council on the 2040 yes. plan. Yep. For those who don't know, the 2040 plan is, is the name you've given what is normally called a city's comprehensive plan. Basically, you're blueprint for growth as you move forward um it's a big document you know i've talked about this before uh and it's 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 difficult for most lay people to read unless you're a geek of some kind and we have a few of those i think you and me (laughs) we were two of them (laughs) and there are a few citizens out there that pay attention to this absolutely so uh tell us you know are there any real changes in your uh, outlook for growth and that development plan that the public uh, might be interested in knowing? That's a great question. Um, I don't, you know, I don't see changes as much as we just continue to go a little deeper on some of, you know, as we get into it and as we're learning, um, you know, we go a little bit deeper, but really it's been a roadmap that helps us know what do we need to be planning for next? What do we need to be executing on? So, um, you know, we had some zoning in place through planned unit developments were a little unusual here in Fishers. Uh, If you looked at some other parts of the state, you know, we've got about 300 planned unit developments. A lot of other areas won't find that. Explain what that term means. You've got zoning, and what we say here is you're either a PUD or you're straight zoned. And what we mean by that is if you're a straight zoned district or if your development develops as under straight zoning, it means you don't have exceptions. It means that you have, um, if you're C1, which would be like a business office, a real estate office, or something like that, then um, you have C1 zoning kind of gives you, and it tells in a, on a zoning map, it will put on the map where C1, in, C1 zoning is permitted, and then there are standards you have to meet. So there might be buffering standards or landscape standards or how many parking spaces you need to provide. That's what's included in zoning. For a planned unit development, that's often called, or you'll hear it referred to in state law as a special district zoning. And what it allows you to do is write your own zoning code. So what you're essentially doing is writing the zoning for that project. That's exactly right. And that's what I I see planned unit developments all the time. And and what they really are are just specific zoning plans for that particular development, whether it's a housing development or a commercial, whatever it might be. it's usually built upon the Unified Development Ordinance. Correct. So most of the standards will refer back to those straight zoning categories that are relevant to the district, but then it will say, except for, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's where you can really get specific um, or customize it to your project. That uniform development uh, plan that you talked about, that that has undergone a pretty big change in recent months. Huge change. And uh, so that that guideline that uh, that you prescribed Mm -hmm. has also uh, made some, you've made some changes in that, which leads me to my next question. And, And that has to do with the development of fishers as we look forward i moved here in 1991 we were a town of less than 10,000 people at mm-hmm. that time yep lots of land and of course we've expanded that land and and and, and so forth since that time we as a community so as i understand it, somewhere between five and seven percent of the land that's eligible to be developed some's in a floodplain some's actually water i mean right the, or what i would say is some already has been zoned as a pud for a special development right so it's already on the it's already land out there it's on the plan so yes. it, but we're talking five to seven percent of the land right. that isn't 
kind of accounted for. Is it accounted for? It's 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 an area that uh, is ripe for development. A lot of mm-hmm. us in the northeastern area ten right along southeastern Parkway. A yeah. lot of the land is a lot. Sure. Not all of it, but a lot of it. Right. So I guess my question to you, as someone who has that within your purview as a as a deputy mayor, how do you envision? those properties developing as we move forward in the next few years? Well, kind of two answers to that question. The first thing that went through my mind as you were saying that is that's why we feel such pressure to get it right. There's only so much left, right? And so we really need to make sure that we have a handle on our data, what we have, what our gaps are, um, as we look to future projected growth. So how I think it will develop, you know, I don't think we got it long. We're looking on the wall uh, to the you're side look, you're, you're at looking, our future land use You're map. looking at the 2040 map That's as right. we speak. So we yeah. have it, and, and I don't think that, you know, generally, this is directional, right? Generally, it says, here's where more residential will go, which I think is primarily what you're talking about out on Southeastern. It's primarily, there are a couple areas that are going to be looked at to say, hey, do we need more of a service, neighborhood service node here? Meaning we've got a lot of ho- you know housing going in. Do we need a convenience store? Do you need you know, uh, some basic dental office, you know, space, everyone uses that as an example, but that's the example, right? Do you need something that can be a a service? I don't think we have the answer to that question right Mm -hmm. now. I think, you know, we're just continuing to monitor. I think the nuance to the question of, you know, what goes here, it's generally residential. What goes there is what type of residential do we need? It's going to be single family, high single end, family? middle end, uh, is multifamily. Is it square footage? One mm-hmm. of the things that we, you know, kind of coming what's next as we think about it, you know, we are working and we're getting very close to being much smarter about our housing makeup. What do we have? Um, and what do we need? And I, I'm looking forward to seeing the 2020 census results too, because that's going to give us, you know, we have we all have our projections, so it's going to be really interesting to see what does it look like. We know um, nationally that uh, ages 55 and up are the highest growing segment of our population. I was in a meeting with AARP recently who serves our area, and they were projecting that's where we're going to see a 30% increase in our population is in the 55 and age group and up. Uh, we've been a very young community, so in some ways that makes sense, right? We're, what's cool to me is that means people are growing older but staying here, mm-hmm. and so we're becoming that more complete kind of life cycle community. Or be here, come here to or be come with here to family. be with family, right? Right, and we see a lot of that, in particular in the northeast of Britain Falls, where we see that. So what I'm really interested in learning more about is where are our gaps? What do we need? And so I know Tony Bogato, our director of planning, is really looking at how do we. You know, how, and maybe it's through zoning or amendments to our zoning to make sure that we're opening up the zoning so that the market can meet the, the demand, but that we may be able to help provide the data that helps guide that as well. So, I mean, right now we've got in our UDO minimum square footage requirements that maybe we need to lower. And those are the kinds of questions that we're looking at. Okay. And that dovetails, and we won't get into this here, we don't have time, but yeah. that dovetails the whole housing issue. Absolutely. Where uh, you have a lot of people working here who may not be able to afford to work right. here, even people who are, 
you know, public employees. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway. Mm-hmm. But, no, but it does. It all fits. It all fits it all together. Fits together. Uh, I want to ask about the Arts and Culture yeah. Commission. They start a meeting in January every other month. It is chaired by David Decker. He's mm-hmm. uh, a co-founder of Hub & Spoke that uh, is now under construction. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Mm-hmm. What's your assessment so far of the Arts and Culture Commission? Where, where do you see that whole Yeah. Well, you know going? what? I actually, at our last commission meeting, made this comment. We're in the process of strategic planning. So we had a master plan for art that was put together um, by you know community members and our planning department that was adopted in 2013. Well, that, you know feels like yesterday in some ways to me especially when I look at my kids I, re- I was at the town <laughs> I was at the town council meeting when right. that came up I remember I'm one of the few people that probably remember that uh, but but uh, the city's that, changed a lot well, of course but right? at that time we were one of the few communities we that were. even did that we were yeah. and we were recognized for that mm-hmm. so what we're doing now is looking back and saying at it and it's time to update right we've executed quite a bit on some of those things and so now it's how do we how do we create experiences of art and culture that are just a part of the fabric of the experience of fishers. And I think that's where the art and art and culture commission can really help lead us is becoming a conduit for those ideas to become a reality and then helping guide us. So it's not a, uh, um, it's, it's just more thoughtful. Not, I was going to say not a shotgun approach, but that we're really thoughtful and strategic about, you know, what we're trying to, um, accomplish here with art and culture, where we are in the process. Uh, I, I made a comment at our last commission meeting that I think we're really in a very similar place um, as where we were four years ago with planning and zoning. And by that, I mean, it was four years ago we started out on this journey to create Fishers 2040, and you were at several of those meetings, I, was, I know. Yes. So we put together committees and we got input and we kind of broke down to the sections. We want to talk about parks and land use and housing and um, transportation. And so we broke into groups and really did a lot of um, kind of deep dive and understanding where we've been, where do we want to go, and how do we want to get there. I think that's where we are with art and culture. So we're in the process of, you know, we've got a master planning committee that basically includes the commission plus several other people. Uh, so we're having those meetings and, and really guiding those conversations to get input. We had, um, I think we had five think tanks on Wednesday. And think tanks are a little different than focus groups. Think tanks are really focused on bringing kind of like people together to get their ideas. And they went really well. Mm-hmm. I, I am purposefully not in the room because I don't want to, I want people to speak freely and, sure. and give us their ideas and their feedback. Um, but in talking to those who were there, I think it went really well. We've got a community survey that we're gonna, we've got online that we're going to be pushing out and really want to hear what people think. And that focuses on activities and, and areas within art and culture that they want to see more of. And it focuses on what are those core principles that need to guide us. So I think where we are is we're just still in the planning process. That should come to a conclusion this fall where we can, you know, there's always more to do. As you know, with master plans, usually half of your what's next is planning more. But I think that we are really in a, in a good spot where in a year from now, if not sooner, we're going to be able to start having big impacts. And I'm excited to see that come together. And David Decker is absolutely the right person to be chairing the speaking, commission. And we're yeah. running out of time here, but but uh, speaking of David, uh, Hub and Spoke is, yep. is a project that 
I know is near and dear to the mayor's heart. He's really worked hard to make this happen along with David Decker, Travis Tucker, his partner, and a lot of other people. The groundbreaking just happened a few days Mm -hmm. ago. They had a huge crowd. A little rain. But actually, it rained later. (laughs) Oh, good. But actually, the event went off fine. I I tried to figure out, why are all these people here? Well, they had a four-day ray truck. (laughs) And I think, uh, I'm not saying that's the only... Like with teenagers, feed them and they will come. It's not the only reason they were there, but the free beer wasn't a bad thing. And there was some food there, too. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of support. I think a lot of people were there because there's so much support for this and hunger. You know, as we looked at it from an art and culture perspective and even an entrepreneurship perspective... We have Ignite in the library that's doing a lot for kind of artists. We have Connor Prairie that's come to the table in big ways uh, throughout our education system and also engaging more in that art and cultural maker space. And Hub and Spoke really fills that, um, how do you take these skills and make them a career? How do we inspire the next generation to consider this as you can, you can take these talents and these passions and you can make build a life around it and that's an area that i think has been missing from our k-12 through education and so we have a chance to do it not in the traditional kind of shop and trade that we've seen in the past which still may have a role i don't mean that but we can do this in a way that can um, i hope inspire people get them excited and give them real hands-on experience and kind of a look at what it means and well, what the, it could be the construction industry is excited oh because they they have such a huge shortage yeah. of skilled people yeah. and they find this as okay now we have that's right some people that's in, right. into that one quick question before we leave you've now been deputy mayor for four years i know look back on those four years highs and lows memories <laughs> you have tough times, great memories. Yeah. What, what uh, goes through your mind when you think in that, that way? Uh, well, you know, the high times are uh, having an opportunity to impact the place where you live and to shape it for the future. There's really nothing better. Uh, so that's, you know, every day you have that chance to be a part of it. And that's, you know, why you do it. And that's the high. Um, some of the the other highs, I was thinking you were we were talking about these traditions that I think um, when we say parks department building these traditions, it's every department. It's, it's our communications and PR efforts. It's public works, police, fire, everyone gets involved when we've got these big events. But I was thinking um, one of, as a funny high, I suppose, but I still love this moment. We've got Boo Bash that we do, and we had dressed up. Which Boo is Bash ha- Halloween. It's Halloween, yeah. so all the departments and businesses dress up and have these booths, and uh, 7,000 kids come at you at the same time, you know, for trick-or-treating, but it's one of the, it's, it's one of my, it's a great event. It's a really neat event to come to, and my kids have enjoyed attending this as well and gone home with far more candy than they need. Uh, But we had one year where we had dressed as superheroes and I had dressed up as Wonder Woman and it was right after the movie had come out. We do have pictures somewhere. Probably. (laughs) Oh, probably. And there was a a little girl who was probably six or seven who came running, running across the field and or the greens and screaming with her hands up said, (laughs) I love you. And so we took oh, lots of photos, funny. and those are the that's highs. Funny. Those okay. are the highs. Uh, you know, the lows are 
sometimes it's a grind. You mm-hmm. got to, you know, change is hard. And so um, that's just part of it and trying to keep everybody um, remembering the vision and the why is the answer to that, I think. But, you know. I don't, I, I've been there too. I've been in grinds. I've worked in government in past years. Yeah. And when you're really, things are tough, you think, okay, think for a moment, take two steps right. back, think about why we're doing this. Mm-hmm. And everybody has a chance to That's refocus. Right. And no, That's it's right. nothing comes easy. No. <laughs> if, it's, no. if it's difficult, if it was easy to do, it would have been done a long time ago by a lot fewer <laughs> number of people. That's right. Leah McGrath, always a pleasure to, yes, to talk you to too. you. Thank you so much Thank for you. joining me. Thank you. Thanks to Leah McGrath for taking the time out of her busy schedule to speak with me on the podcast. This is the Larry in Fishers podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I write the LarryInFishers.com local news blog from Fishers, Indiana, a suburban community northeast of Indianapolis. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.